0: Welcome to CDW's Legal Inclusion Team podcast, a series of conversations on diversity, equity, and inclusion from the lens of a corporate legal team. I'm Gil Cubia, CDW's Director and Senior Counsel for Global Ethics and Compliance. For this episode, we're leveraging the power of CDW's external law firm partnerships, and I was honored to speak with Lenora Osborne Odom the Chief Talent Development and Inclusion Officer for DLA Piper. Lenore gave us a glimpse of her time at the Ethical Culture Fieldston School in New York, where students learn ethical principles and the importance of supporting one another in becoming better people and the importance of doing good in the world. Lenora shared how early exposure to these ethical principles helped nurture an openness to different cultures and ideas that influence her unique approach to advancing d Let's listen to my conversation with Lenora. So Lenora,
1: thank you for joining today. Thanks so much for having me.
0: Uh, I think a perfect place for us to begin is a bit of background about yourself and where your diversity and inclusion journey started.
1: Awesome. So um, currently my role is Chief Talent Development and Inclusion Officer at DLA Piper and my diversity and inclusion journey. um, I kind of feel like I was set up for this sort of from the beginning. Um, If you think about that adage, everything I learned, I learned in kindergarten. I would say that my kindergarten and my, honestly, my elementary school life set me up for a mindset that was very, very inclusive, really thinking about a world in which there's space for everyone, Um, different cultures, different religions, different languages. Um, All of that was part of how we were I guess raised is probably the best word to say it, raised at school, um, all throughout school.
0: Okay, that's interesting. So a one world approach, right?
1: Very much so, very much so. Um, And really taken to the extreme. So not just exception or accepting of other people and cultures, actually immersing all of us in those other cultures. So we would spend a year learning about pilgrims and their religion and religious acceptance and why people came to this country and how they started here, which also meant that we spent time learning about natives and the people who were here and their cultures and their traditions. And by learning about them, I mean, not just reading books, but making their clothes, eating their foods, sometimes at least reading their prayers, really, really digging, talking about how they raised their children and and what their sort of moral standards and goals were. Really, really thinking about what life was like and experiencing what life was like for different kinds of people. That's
0: interesting. So now this was a school that you attended for
1: grade school, or can you tell me a little bit more about the school itself? Sure. So it was an ethical culture school, although not based necessarily in the ethical culture religion. It's actually founded by a man named Felix Adler, who was trying to create a space actually for Jewish students in New York to have a place where they could not necessarily practice their religion, but feel comfortable. Um, talking about their religion, living and carrying through their religious traditions. So it was not a Jewish school. It ended up just being an open place for lots of different kinds of people. Um, And I went, I started in kindergarten and there's a middle school and there's what we called an upper school. So all my formative years through when I was 18 years old, this was the sort of mindset um, that I grew up in. So this is an approach that,
0: if we took that and multiplied it by you know tens of thousands across the U.S., wow! Imagine the mindset that you know as adults we'd all have today um, with a, a, a one-world approach, being exposed to cultures and lifestyles that are unique and or different from those which we would otherwise see at home tell me a little bit more about maybe even your journey after leaving that environment. How, I mean, how did you take what you learned there and translate it into adulthood?
1: Yeah. So it really, for me, it really gives me a way to find space or hold space or create space for ideas that are different than my own right? So many of us now, and you see, you know, we can be as a country, very polarized on all sorts of different issues. But for me, all these issues sort of sit on a continuum. So there's actually space for all of them. Some of them may be mine, some of them may not be mine. But in understanding that people's opinions come from how they were raised, what their moral code is, what their religion is, their parents, where they lived, right? So there's a reason why we all think the way we think. And because we're all here, there's space for all of that, right? So I really try to understand how people get to their thoughts um, and how we can find, even in thoughts that seem quite divergent, what are the places of commonality? What are the places of convergence? And and how can we work together, move together from there?
0: It's almost like you've developed a muscle A muscle like uh, that's em- empathy in and of itself, right? So, empathy to the ability to be empathetic, it's almost as if you've been trained just from the exposure early on to have an empathetic approach to your relationships that you have today. Possibly, I don't, I don't know, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but
1: it seems like. I think that's pretty much right. And if you think about, I mean, again, a small school. So in my graduating class, there were 112 of us, and there's probably a good 20, 25 of us that either do D&I work or other work where they're trying to build up and build out inclusion, places where people can come together either places where people are actually physically coming together and talking about ideas. One of my friends um, created an alliance between Black students and Jewish students, right, which makes a lot of sense because we were African-American students in a school that was created um, by someone within the Jewish faith and finding, again, commonalities or just learning more about each other. It's a group she started in college, but just I think the type of understanding or teachings that we were exposed to when we were younger really sort of leads to that. Um, We have this, what I will call, I have an, an insatiable cultural curiosity. I will watch things about culture. It doesn't matter what the culture is. I will watch honestly on like National Geographic channel from the people who hunt alligators the people that live on the Alaskan frontier, right? I find it fascinating how people are creating lives and the different ways they do things, either because of their environment or because of the choices they make. I just find it fascinating. So, I I think that's
0: really important to be curious about other cultures just generally um, and just curious about um, other people. Mm -hmm. So... When you became um, active in your role uh, within the firm, your your current role, yep. How did that curiosity help shape your approach to DNI?
1: Yeah. so I think what we're focusing on quite a bit now, um, and since sort of we've had this new administration, it's really about inclusion, right? It's about, Yes, we celebrate diversity and the differences of people. But to me, the next step is inclusion. How do we all come together and and talk about these things and, and share with each other and figure out how to bring that richness of all of who we are as a firm to ourselves and celebrate it collectively? What's the energy and the power that we get from that? And how do we share who we are, the totality of DLA Piper? with our clients and with the legal profession.
0: Do you find that uh, even in working with clients, um, are, are clients more focused on diversity and inclusion today than they were when you first entered the profession?
1: So I have to add to that from first entered the profession of law, because I haven't sat in this seat for very long. I would say yes, right? I mean, there have been things that have happened over the past few years that have made all organizations, every enterprise, particularly focused on diversity, particularly focused on, honestly, inclusion, uh, making changes, realizing that there are some things at, in maybe their organizations that they wanna make change and it has to do with culture. It's not necessarily how they provide service or what services they provide it is very people oriented. Um, I think that empathy, um, there was a recent article um, about how, it was about big law and about how big law over the past two and a half years has become increasingly empathetic um, because or in reaction to response to a lot of the things that have gone on. And the article was questioning whether um, firms will stay in that space. Um, We will. Um, We care about our people immensely. Um, I think again, in my role where I do both talent development and inclusion, it's our firms nod to whole people um, and every person at our firm. And we take that quite seriously. So what I'm seeing from clients is yes, definitely a focus on diversity and inclusion. It feels sometimes a bit nascent, right? Um, What's the first step, right? Take stock of who you have in your organization. So a lot of our uh, clients do talk to us about issues of how they account. They talk to us about issues on how they could set up resource groups um, within their own organizations um and they are also looking to the more what the practice of DNI generally tells you is more advanced things you know what can they do how do they support their people how do they grow their people and really focus on um people based on who they are right really focusing through that lens
0: so let's go back to the point on the resource groups mm-hmm. within DLA are there multiple resource groups that are available to attorneys?
1: We have eight. Oh, okay. Um, we have eight, um, which also includes, you know, we have, you know, African American, Black. We have Latina, Hispanic. We have Asian American, Pacific Islander, Pacific Islander as well. So those are the ones people more traditionally think about. We also have a resource group dedicated to our LGBT community, Iris, um, which is very, very active and and has grown quite a bit, which um, is a testament one to who's around at the firm, but also, in my view, people's comfort in in sharing who they are with the firm and joining um, those groups. Uh, We have a group for veterans, we have a group for women. um, And then we also have one that's for our working parents, which is now going to be also shifting into caregivers, because we found through, you know, we learned a lot about each other when we were connecting into each other's homes. But we have quite a few people at the firm that are caregivers for other members of the family or people close to their families. The sandwich generation, I think is
0: how we refer to it now.
1: Yes, and giving them a space um, to talk about their issues and also make the firm aware of supports that uh, we can provide.
0: And on the development side, what beyond uh, affinity groups and resource groups, what sorts of development um, opportunities do young associates have within the firm who may be from different backgrounds that are underrepresented within the legal profession generally?
1: So I would say that in terms of, you know, sort of career opportunities, those are the same across the board. But we do have um, programs, especially for our... um, I will say newer because we don't have junior partners, but some of our newer partners, we do have programs that, um, in fact, that's why I'm in Chicago now, that uh, provide them additional leadership training, additional business professional, business, sorry, development training, and really looking to upskill them to prepare them for um, roles as leaders within the firm. So that may be lo- roles within the diversity and inclusion community roles there. It might be roles uh, in an office. It might be role in their practice, Um, but they've expressed an interest in being able to take on these roles, being considered for these types of roles at the firm. And we've met that um, with specific training. Um, And it's for, we have one for our women emerging leaders and then one for our lawyers of color emerging leaders. Okay,
0: that's great. That's great. As we're in a more virtual space um, coming out of the past couple of years, working remotely? How, what does inclusion look like within the firm?
1: So that's a great question. Um, here, the way we have termed it is we're calling it flexible work um, because it's not just remote and it's not just hybrid. It's actually more flexible than that because what we're going to do is we're going to focus on what the work needs and then we're going to figure out where we need to do that work. Um, But what people really want as we're in this sort of time and space now is they want connectivity. And that may mean different things to different people and it may mean different things at different times. So one of the things I think a lot of organizations are focusing on is just because people want to work at home does not mean they want to be disconnected from their workplace, from their peers, from their leaders. They still do want that connection. So in this flexible workspace, um, inclusion is really about creating opportunities for people to connect. Sometimes it's social, right? Just pulling them together. Hey, we're going to all be in the office on day X, and we're going to just get to know each other better. We're going to have, I don't know, pizza or drinks, or we're going to do a chocolate party, whatever it is. But some of it is more work-based, right? We um, have been distanced. Our team has grown. Our team isn't just office-based. Our team is now around the country. Let's have a kickoff so we can come to get to know each other and and build additional relationships or build you know even the beginnings of relationships. So when we all go back to our offices, we have that connection. Right? Like, it's like oh, I met Gil when we were all here together. I know who she is. You know, as we continue to work, so people do want that connection. At our firm, we recently had basically a firm-wide conference in Florida in the beginning of June. And it was amazing just to see the dynamic of people coming together, um, being in the same room, just having much more fluid conversations, right? Because that's one thing that people have said about what we were then calling remote work, right? It requires an intentionality that, Sometimes was an additional layer on the work, right? So sometimes everybody just heads down. Everybody's working differently, but if we wanted to meet, we had to actually schedule a meeting. I couldn't just pop by your office. So we're trying to get to a place where there's more of that connectivity. There probably still will be a fair amount of uh, intentionality involved, but everybody wants it, um, and and you know from the development side training people, sharing with people how to do that most efficiently and effectively so that we can still build relationships because it's still a relationship business, both internally as we build relationships on our teams and obviously externally with our clients.
0: That's great. That's great. And yes, I, having a session in just this recent as June, I could just imagine was great for people to just be in one space together and, 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 and have that ability to network in person and, and and start to feel like a team again. I think being yeah. one of the things that we we missed was that like the the uh, what do you call it, the water cooler conversations that you could have face to face. And yes, you're right. I mean, you still had to schedule a meeting with people, but just having that face time with folks, I think that's something we all have missed. And um yeah. And, and it does help in terms of feeling included and part of a team, I think, to have some time in person together.
1: It it does. It does. Um, and I think one of the things that sort of everybody has somewhat ignored um, that we are catching on to, um, I've had several recent conversations with people who are Lifetimers at DLA Piper and might be partners now. So they grew up here and now they've been partner for several years. We've focused a lot. I think all organizations have focused a lot on oh, the people who joined our organization as we were remote. We've got to get them in. This is they've never met us. We need to connect with them. The piece that hasn't had as much focus and is equally as important, if not more, because these are the people who have established the culture of the organization, are the people who have been long timers. And this was a complete shift from how they were delivering work, how they were training people, how they were building relationships for their entire career, right? So it's not just like that; it just switched for them because we switched. It's been a challenge for them, right? Because they're in an entirely different work environment. This is true. um, And making sure, yeah. And making sure they feel comfortable with the changes and focusing on them. What do they need? Um, as as it looks like, flexibility will be the way of the future. What do they need to make that transition? That's a great
0: point, Lenora. I think that there's a lot of emphasis on the people who joined during the flexible or remote work periods that um, that kept us out of the office. But yeah, I mean, to your point, who? Yeah, there 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 needs to be emphasis on the people who have for so many years, delivered work a certain way to associates or um, just networked with clients even in person. I mean, it, it this whole landscape has changed, not just for the newbie, but for the um, more seasoned, more experienced attorneys as well. Absolutely. Yeah. Great point. Great point. Um, so, Lenora, uh, we're we're actually approaching the end of our conversation, but before we get there, I want to give you an opportunity to share with our listeners any key takeaways or um, closing arguments, closing statements that you'd like to leave our listeners with. You know, it can it can be about your experience um, at um, as a child growing up at the school you attended or even within your current role?
1: So I will say both from childhood and currently, um, it's really important to be open. Um, the practice, and I'll call it that since we're talking about law, but the practice of, of diversity and inclusion doesn't mean one thing, right? It can be lots of different things. It's layered, it's faceted. The most important thing I think about being successful in D&I is you've got to hear your people, right? It's it's not about necessarily how you would do it or what you think. Your role is to take all those different and varied ideas about diversity, about inclusion, about change, about what the firm should look like in culture and meld them into what the firm is, right? So it all has to align so that it can move forward, but it means you have to be open to hear lots of different voices because otherwise you're going to get it wrong, right? If you only got one input, you will get it wrong. Um, And I think all of us in this role want to be successful. We want to help our organizations be more and more inclusive um, and be well thought of in this space but that also means you have to hear your organization those are the people that you're serving um the firm is is who you're working with and for and it all needs to align with who the firm is um, who the people are and the only way to get that is to listen
0: i hope lenore's words inspire you to be open to different cultures and ideas and to look at life through different lenses through other people and yourself By doing this, we can all support one another in becoming better people and do good in the world while creating safe spaces to work and delivering the best outcomes for our customers. That's it for this episode. I'm Gil Cubia. See you next time.